0: Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers. You've been playing games, checking out Board Game Geek, prepping for con season, and on this particular day, tuned in to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, and we're so glad to have some rent-free time in your ears. My name's Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And
1: this is Josh.
0: Josh, (laughs) did we ever come up with a name for you? Uh, I know Will is the dung merchant, Nikki's the druid, because she does animal talk, Andrew, he's he's the scholar, he's uh,
1: he's arch- Archmage. Archmage Andrew, Where, are you the explorer? I'm nothing like. You, there's King Scott, Just Patrick, which Just is, is, a, is a title. I'm just yes, Josh. Thank you. I'm the lost, I'm you the lost what? loot guy.
0: You will be your your hereby explorer Josh because you go and overturn stones that no geek would dare do. Oh, I hey, like yeah. it.
1: I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs>
0: Hey, Adventurers, in this episode, we're talking some recent adventures, including familiar tales, Doctor Who and Dominion. Our 8-bit breakdown today is a little gem called Glow, and we'll be doing the time warp for last year's review game, Beyond the Sun. Plus,
2: Scott, I didn't warn you for this one. We got a new segment, buddy. Oh come on now! We got a new person here. We got a new uh, segment. We, I'm not I a don't new know. person. I mean, I've been around that, for a but, while. But you're in our like secret bunker here, recording with us, and I wasn't let known about it. Any- what kind of a king am I that I don't get known <laughs> let known about anything?
0: Well, he was asking to do a segment, and I was like, hey, I don't know. Well, we might not have enough time. And he was like, Come on! And I was like, well, Seriously, we might be stressed for time, but again. Come on. So we've got Will, and he wants to stick with the dung merchant. We're gonna have polishing the turd, a new (laughs) segment on Level Up, (laughs) and then wrapping things up, guys. What do you think about? We're gonna we got Origins on the horizon, so we each picked out three games, adventures. We got nine. Count them nine games that were juiced up for at Origins. I, I'm ready for today, guys. This is going to be a good one.
2: My thing is, I don't know if I'm really that much looking forward to games at Origin as I am just going to Origins. Being in that crowd. Yeah, exactly. soaking in the
0: environment. Guys, i got to tell you, we got some new business cards coming in. Check this out. This is great audio, but if you see my camera, we've got new cards with a little QR code on it. Look for it at Origins. has yeah, a little digital a, guy on it. Yeah, yeah. We've got Wolford on there, too. And the back, I love this, the back of the card. It's got a little arrow, and it says, to determine first player, place on top of table and spin. <laughs> I like to think I'm clever. Hey, we got new shirts, new hats. We got banners. Scott, I got a couple of flags that we're going to put in front of that big vinyl thing because we, Josh, you don't know this. We are invited to Pittsburgh Retro Gaming Expo, which is in October. It's the first and the second, and it it was founded on video games, right? So like Mega Man, Contra, Mario Brothers, like it's, it's old school video games but they're expanding a bit. Now they're trying to incorporate tabletop RPGs. They're trying to incorporate board games. They actually, they reached out to us. They're like, Hey, we heard from these guys. Uh, you two are local. You do a podcast. We want you to do a panel. We want you to demo games. I'm so excited. In fact, we reached out to steam forge cause they got horizon zero dawn. They got the dark souls card game. Like we're starting to get in some of these video game adaptations and man, I can't wait to set up and get everything shown. It's, it's, feels
2: official, doesn't it?
1: I know. It's climbing up the ladder. It's going to be a
2: lot of fun here doing this. It was all based on old video games. That was Mm -hmm. the big thing. And seeing that it's spreading out to other stuff, it's such an exciting thing to be a part of.
0: We're going to need some helping hands, right? We're going to need some people. We've got the merch booth going. So I reached out to Nikki and you know what happened? Steven beat us to her.
2: Oh, and
0: I like Steven. Steven runs Brown Castle Games. Adventures, if you're on the hunt for a crokinole board, browncastlegames.com. Check him out. The dude's got some of the coolest accessories for your crokinole board, carrying cases, setups. He's going to be at the Pittsburgh Retro Gaming Con as well. Steven, looking forward to seeing you. That's what I got
2: going on. What have you two been up to? Kind of going off on the whole thing with the Retro Gaming Con, this is something I have to do as well. Being part of the Renaissance Festival, there is another con in Pittsburgh that's called Steel City Con. There are a bunch of vendors from the Renaissance Festival that have set up there. So they have kind of Renaissance Lane. So I Mm -hmm. like to think that we're going to set up a board gamers lane at the Pittsburgh Retro Expo Con. I think that's going to be a lot of fun there. So we're going to have board gamers lane. That's a big thing. Oh, there. yeah, I like it. Yeah, so my, my life's been a little
1: crazy recently. I, I actually stepped away from my family's restaurant in the past month, and I'm trying to pursue Traitor. a career. In, yeah, <laughs> that's sometimes I feel that way, and it's really it really sucks. But, you know, it was the right decision. It was time, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to find a career in the tabletop industry in Ooh. some way, shape, and form. So I've been reviewing not reviewing but interviewing a lot of people from like different parts of the industry people who people like who run queen games in north america people who had grand gamer skill just a bunch of people i've met through my volunteering at different conventions sure i'm just trying to get advice from them um so far it's been okay i'm just trying to get a job right now and i'll save some of the details for my level up but know, lots of great advice. You know, it's been weird not working. I hate not having a job really. So, but I've been keeping busy trying to design and, you know, do other things that lots of my friends who are all over the country need help with as far as their own games. So it's been interesting. The AC is out in my apartment. So I've been stuck in a a hellhole of a Mm. a heat wave right now. So, you know, you get yourself
0: a job, you can pay to have that fixed. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, that's the funny thing. It was like a week after I decided to step away and my AC broke down. And I was like...
0: Oh, naturally.
1: Yeah. And I thought well, it was hey, going to make a hundred buck fix, but no, it turns out to be a $6,000 fix. So, Holy, that's the whole unit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. You. We'll see. You. I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to need a booth, babe, come time for the Pittsburgh Retro Gaming
1: Con. So it doesn't I literally- pay... Don't ask how I know this, but I look great in a bikini.
2: Uh, Let's move uh, on. I um <laughs> I want to know and I don't want to know at <laughs> the same amount. Um anyway.
3: Uh, this is yes. why
2: I go out and
1: explore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Upcoming stuff. I got excited. We had all these little flashes on Facebook, on emails, and everything else. Y'all know I love Marvel Champions. Well, finally, oh, here we go. Yes, they are expanding a little bit. You look at how much they've had with the Avengers, with the Spider Verse characters that have been coming out, Guardians of the Galaxy. They have a vast library to pull from and get all these characters in here. Well, they just added a new wing to that library, and now the mutants are coming into Marvel Champions. Okay. So they're releasing Mutant Genesis. It's going to have uh, Kitty Pride or Shadow Cat, whatever you want to call her, and Colossus in it, which, I mean, yeah, I like them. But then they're also releasing Phoenix and Cyclops at the same time. So you're going to have four heroes come out along with this campaign that's coming out. And Cyclops is easily my favorite X-Men. Okay, that's where I was wondering, because I don't know
0: any of these names. And when I hear mutants, I think X-Men. That's what this is. This is an X-Men expansion?
2: Yes. Yes, it is. So you're going to have Magneto. You're going to have the Sentinels. You're going to have all sorts of great stuff coming into this game. And already, I mean, I've had so much fun with this game. I'm playing the new uh, Sinister one that they have with the Spider-Verse with Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. It is (laughs) fantastic playing that game so far right now adding this onto it is going to be fabulous so why cyclops
1: <laughs> like there's there's a whole swath of x-men you know i, I have nothing i like cyclops just because the next guy but like there's a whole swath of really cool x-men why is your cyclops your favorite
2: i don't know what it is whenever i first started reading the comic he just jumped out at me but then also probably scott and scott I mean, uh, hey, this guy's named after me. I got to like him. But no, I love the idea of shooting these beams from his eyes and everything. It was just so much fun. Such a great visual. I mean, I jumped on with the John Byrne X-Men, and that was just such an incredible time to to read those comics. And the artwork was phenomenal. And it was just so much fun. Yeah. Cyclops has always been the one X-Man that I've always loved. Well, hey okay. guys, we got a
0: big episode today. we got to get on with recent adventures. Who wants to kick us off?
1: I can go first. I'll jump in because my mine's not nearly as exciting as your guys'. But, oh, but uh, wait, did you say your guys'? <laughs> your guys', yeah.
0: <laughs> what you got? Yeah, no, Dominion of all things. We're going way, but Josh, this isn't a level back episode. Tell us about what you got going on with Dominion.
1: So I, I was recently interviewing for a job at my local game store, actually, Hope, I'm hoping I can get a retail job there just to kind of hold me over until I figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I know mm-hmm. I would enjoy it because I like board games and I can sell. So but that's besides the point. But I went there and I the interview day I had, it was their game night. And I don't get often get to go out there for their game night because I'm usually busy. But I decided to stick around and actually go for a game night. What was funny though, everyone walks in and they have their groups already. And so I just kind of sit there. You know, I, I've never seen so many boards of Arc Nova out at once. There's like three or four games going on Arc
0: Nova. <laughs> oh, nice. And I was
1: like, I, I was absolutely in awe. <laughs> like, I, I wanted to jump in on a game, but they all had their groups. And so I was going to try to get some solo gaming in of like Super Spinball for Arcade. And I saw these two ladies who were trying to learn how to play Dominion. Um, one of them had played before. And they were asking like all the rules, like, oh, how do you play? And they get out the rule book and they they get the rule book out. And this thing has been used so much, seeing all the pages fall out. Oh, like, dear. It's it's not in order. So I'm like, oh, it's geez. like the so store's
0: stuff. demo copy.
1: It was, yeah, it was the game store's demo copy. So it wasn't rough. And it was like the first edition of Dominion. So mm-hmm. it wasn't even the nice second edition. <laughs> and so I just leaned over and said, hey, do you want to learn how to play? And they said, oh, my gosh, thank you. And so it turns out one of the ladies is new to gaming. She doesn't really play games. The other ladies have some experience. And so I sat down and taught them how to play Dominion. Um, it's not a hard game to teach. I only played it a couple times, but I know how to teach it. Mm-hmm. And as far as. What I think about Dominion, going back to it, having played more deck builders, it is showing its age, like a lot of people say. Okay. Um, and, but the reason I want to call, recently mention, like, I've never been a big fan of Dominion myself. i rather play something else, but my wife really likes it, so I have it, but we don't get to play it too often. As I was watching the you know the newer person who hadn't who hasn't had exposure to lots of board games, she was her mind was just getting blown. Like mm-hmm. she, she was like, "This looks super complicated." I'm like, trust me, it's not. And she's playing, she's understanding how the combinations work. I'm losing on purpose so that she can, because so, I'm I'm telegraphing all my moves to everybody at the table so they learn. So yeah. It was just cool to see her mind get blown as she started to understand the intricacies of the cards. When you're actually supposed to go for you know duchies and estates, and when you really want to start moving on the provinces and things like that. And it really goes to show that Dominion, as as far as my problems with it as just a personal gamer, it really is a great introduction to the hobby and what the hobby can really bring. What, what the hobby really brings about this. these games that are much more quote unquote complicated, but they really provide someone with a lot more freedom than say like chess or sorry, or monopoly, it allows you to feel clever, it allows you to feel like you're doing great. And it gives you that wonderful sense of progression as your deck builds that, hey, I created that. And I think that's why it has this such staying power and why it's going to continue to stick around and be a great introduction for new people. Um, So that was my recent adventure. And I wanted to talk about today.
0: Let me ask you this. Do you in your home copy have any expansions for Dominion?
1: No, because I didn't like the base game that much.
0: Okay, there's two types of Dominion players. There's those that have the base game, and then those that have literally everything that's ever come out for Dominion. You're the former, (laughs) I'm the latter. I tell you what, you start stacking onto that base game. The base game is very much a base game. Actions, card draws, make your purchase. Man, some of the things they do with like Seaside gives you these perpetual cards. Like You play it, and it gives you an effect now. Then next turn, it's going to give you the effect again before going to the grave. One of them, Prosperity. It adds a Platinum, which is a five-value coin. It adds, uh, what's after Province? Colonies. It's a it's a much higher point-value green card that you can shoot for, thus potentially extending the game or making giving you... You know how normally it's like, okay, you have this stack of eight provinces, and once somebody starts going for them, oh, we got to start gobbling them up. When you introduce the Colonies, it takes a little bit longer to get to that point thus making the game a little bit more robust. You have a little bit more agency over the construction of your deck,
2: but oh my gosh, I love Dominion. Scott, when was the last time you played Dominion? Oh, it's been far too long. I mean, I always enjoyed Dominion. Dominion, I think, is a a very fun game. I love the idea of deck building. Whenever you start, like you said, Josh, you're building the deck. You get to see what you built. And whenever you get that line of cards that you need that, you know, can play off of each other in your hand at one time, it's hard to keep that poker face on because you're just sitting there like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And you can't wait to play it. And the other thing also is this is such a stepping stone for all other games that have come after it. It really set up its own genre of gaming, of a type of game where you have worker placement or you have an auction. Deck building has become its own genre of gaming, and it's really been built off of Dominion. And they still keep building off themselves. There are still
0: expansions. I have been, in, I was at the vault yesterday. There are Dominion expansions. Now I said, oh, I have everything Dominion. That stopped like five years ago. <laughs> They still have more. Apparently, in the last five years, there have been a lot more Dominion things coming out. You know, when I stopped was whenever you could play it on the computer. There was that old, uh, what, like Brett Spielvelt or however you say it. It was, I think, a German. Yeah. I would play it on there. And I was like, well, I don't need to buy any more expansions. And once I start playing a game on the computer or on an app, I stopped taking it to the table. It's like, well, I've played this 100 Mm. times in the last week. I have friends coming over. I'm not going to play the game that I have access to on my computer. We're going to play something different. And that for me was sort of when Dominion started to fall by the wayside. But man, it's still a fun game to revisit. Oh, most definitely. Running low on supplies during your adventures? Don't want to shell out too much coin to gear up? Level Up's got your back. We've teamed up with Tabletop Tycoon to get listeners of the show 10% off a couple of the biggest titles they carry. First up, Nemo's War. You've heard our thoughts on this one. A grand strategy game jam-packed with meaty decisions, and the theme here, oh, I tell you what, it tells a story every time you play. Plus, Everdell, an early review here at Level Up and a personal favorite for both of us. If you don't have it, you've got to get in on it. Look, not many games get multiple expansions after they release, only the best. And Everdell, it's one of them. The perk just for you is 10% off Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition just by using promo code LEVELUP2022. You can visit their website at tabletoptycoon.com or click the link on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Add any of these gems to your cart, that's Nemo's War, Everdell, or the Everdell Collector's Edition, and use promo code LEVELUP2022, all caps, no spaces, for 10% off. Get these
2: games on the table and level up. You're saying it's not a level back, but I kind of did a bit of a level back here myself with a game from 2017. I got a reason for it. We just announced that there is going to be a new doctor. And for those who are unsure, I'm talking about Doctor Who. I've been a fan of Doctor Who ever since I was a little kid. We would get up in the morning. My mother and I, we would run next door to her friend's house. They would sit in the kitchen, drink coffee, just talk over whatever went happened during the week. And I would jump in her bed. And at the time, she had the coolest little mini TV set next to her bed. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the coolest thing. I, I'm living in the future. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> I mean, it was just a little black and white TV. Sure. But I got introduced to Doctor Who. I got to ask here, you two, who's your doctor? I'm
1: going to say Matt Smith Mm. is my doctor, but I do. I think my favorite doctor is pretty base. It's David Tennant.
2: Okay. Okay. I've
1: watched more episodes with Matt Smith in it than I have Mm -hmm. with David Tennant, but all my favorite episodes have David Tennant in it. So
0: Uh, Patrick. I know nothing about Doctor Who. (laughs) I literally know nothing. I see Doctor Who on a board game, and I'm like, nope, not buying that, because I know nothing about it. (laughs) Enlighten me, Scott.
2: Well, my doctor, I got to go back to number four. Tom Baker, that is my doctor, and that's back in the old time, and I loved it. Someone summed up the whole idea of there was an episode, The Ark in Space, and if you watch Doctor Who, you know that episode you know what? They have fantastic actors on there. If you can have a person with a hand wrapped up in bubble wrap, spray painted green, and he makes you believe that it's something alive. That's a good actor. But <laughs> yep, I digress. What I'm talking about here is Dr. Who, the time of the Daleks. And this was designed by Andrew hot published by Gale force nine. Now this came out with four doctors in it. You had, Four, one, ten, and eleven—I think it was—that you got the doctors. And Wait, now yes, the Patrick, doctors have numbers. Well, yeah. oh yeah, yeah You guys We're just yeah. giving
0: them names. Well, yeah, the so, actors I'm, actors. I'm so yeah.
2: confused. We'll we'll have to talk about this later off the air. But anyway, with Doctor Who, the Tom of the Daleks, it's a very simple game. It's not deep by any sense of the imagination. You are rolling dice. You roll your dice, you have to get certain sides to show up in order to be successful in your adventures. So what will happen is you have a little tableau in front of you, you have your doctor, and then you can have your companion. Now, Patrick, a companion is their guy Friday, if you want to call it for anything that would kind of drum up an idea here. It's their companion in crime. It's their Robin the Boy Wonder. They're always with them, helping them out. So what you do, yeah, there you go. What you do is you flip over a tile and it Mm -hmm. will have a planet on it. So you have a planet that you need to go to, to find out what's going on. Well, there are two half circles cut out in those, and they're going to be adventure tiles that are put in there and you can decide what one you want to go to. The main tile that you put out there, there'll be four different dice on there. There are dice that are black, green, red, and blue. You have strength and other attributes that show up on your dice. So you have to roll the dice and match the symbols on there in order to defeat the adventure that they're going on. Well, there's little circles that you put out there and they have circle spots. Those add the twist to it, the villain that you're facing. It could be the Daleks. It could be the Cybermen. It could be uh, Sontarans. You don't know who it's going to be. They're going to pop in and make things different. Well, you just roll your dice. If you defeat it, you get further ahead, getting closer to Earth and saving humanity. If you don't, well, the Daleks move up a little bit closer to you and possibly getting ready to just wipe out humanity. There are a lot of neat little tweaks in here as far as regeneration. Yes, they regenerated this, which is really cool. It's not a game for a gamer. It sounds horrible here whenever I say this. You aren't going to have a heavy gamer going, oh, my God, this is fantastic. But... Mm -hmm. Anyone who loves Doctor Who is going to adore this game because it goes back to the old black and white episodes. It goes back to the Tom Baker episodes. It goes back to so many different episodes and so many old things. You flip over one of the adventures and you're like, oh my God, that is so much fun. So whenever you have a time when you're working with Tom Baker, adventuring with River Song, fighting Nashtavarati.
0: Adventures. if you're as lost as me right now, listening to all this, uh, uh, you're not alone. So tell me, Scott, it sounds like this is not a mechanics forward game. It's not the most deep game. No. It's light in complexity, as you mentioned, but thematically, it sounds like if you're a Doctor Who fan, this is going to tug on those nostalgia strings and really get you get you into Absolutely. the universe of Doctor Who. Beautiful. Yes,
2: absolutely. It is It is just so much fun playing it. This is one definitely you're going to have more of a conversation going on than game playing in this game. I hate to say it's not for everyone. If you're just a gamer, I wouldn't play it. If you're a Doctor Who fan, go out, get it. It is an absolute blast. And you can actually collect all the different Doctors and play all 13 of them if you want to. Get you some don't have Strange. Not yet. Well, okay. uh, wrong doctor. <laughs> okay. So if I want to get into Doctor
0: Who, where am I starting?
2: What am You're I watching? Gonna, oh, if you want to get into, well, Blink. I would say probably go. Oh, well, start with that. I would probably start with the uh David Tennant run. And that's okay. easily found on HBO Max, very easy to find on DVD or Blu-ray if you want to get that. That's the one where a lot of people really got reintroduced or introduced for the first time to Doctor Who. So that would be the best thing to go with.
1: If I were to say pick an episode, I'd say pick an episode called Blink.
2: Yes. Uh, okay. That was
1: the first episode I watched of Doctor Who. Oh, wow. And knowing nothing about Doctor Who, like it, it, it you can go into the episode not knowing anything about Doctor Who and understand everything that's going on. Okay. And most people I talk to either their favorite episode or one of the best episodes of you know science fiction, even just written.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely is. That, that's a wonderful, wonderful recommendation.
0: Well, maybe we'll give that a shot sometime today. But first, I want to tell you guys about a game I've been playing: Familiar Tales, a 2022 game Ooh. from Plaid Hat Games, Ooh. designed by Jerry Hawthorne. Now, I originally heard of Familiar Tales. Scott, remember we saw this back at PAX?
2: Yes. Yes, we did. And there yeah, was so a lot of talk about that at the time. There, hey, oh, oh my goodness, yeah.
0: No, you know what happened was Will Brown was like, "Dude, you got to check out this uh, Familiar Tales game," and I was like, "I don't know." And he said, "Come on," so I was like, "Fine, fine." So he was telling me how excited he was for it because of its designer, Jerry Hawthorne, who's previously done these playfully themed games like uh, he did Mice and Mystics, Stuffed Fables. So there's a good track record here, right? What's oh, yes. the playful theme of Familiar Tales? You've got a displaced princess arriving at the door of a wizard's house. There's the wizard pops open the door. There's a baby there, and he's got no time to take care of this baby girl. So he entrusts her to his four familiars, a frog, a stone golem, a fairy, and a fox. And these are the characters that the players will assume. Their goal is to sort of caretake this baby while while they're going about adventures. Get her from point A to point B, fend off the baddies, right? So how do we implement it? Familiar Tales requires the use of a companion app. <laughs> ah. <laughs> One of our recent discussions is on the use of apps in board games. And I think both of us, got we felt that we enjoyed them so long as they're simply a component of the game. Like yes. it's still 80% board game and 20% app. Mm-hmm. Well, this pulls that off pretty nicely. During play, you won't have to mind the app aside from simply clicking end my turn. It's going to manage danger level of your scenario and a few other minor things. But what it does do is it provides the story. Get this, fully narrated story. voiceover oh, work, oh, voice oh. acting. Yes, yes. It's you don't so have to nice. sit there and like read out loud. Oh, yeah. You can just set it down and everybody gets to soak it in. It gives a quick narrated scenario and a decision to make in between scenarios, sort of like um, uh, the travel phase in Gloomhaven, for example. You're going to have things going on in between your quests, right. right? On top of that, it has the option of playing a soundtrack during the play session, which some folks are going to love, some don't. I personally think that adding a little bit of music is great, which, by the way, Scott, we played The Thing Saturday night, and mm-hmm. I fully intended on having that Thing soundtrack that goes, boom. boom yeah, yeah. You know that, that like... <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I should mention that when investigating an area of interest, they also have a number and you can put that number into the app to hear the story develop. So like one of the scenarios is like, well, you can go right over the bridge and talk to the guards or you can go around it. And if you opted to go around it, when you hit this certain area, you hit a number into the app and the story continues. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but what kind of gameplay is on the table? I suppose we could classify Familiar Tales as like an action selection deck building game. Mm. Each turn, you have a number of actions to choose from, your movement, foraging, investigating a location, kind of basic dungeon delve material, right? But players carry out these actions with a hand of cards. See, at the start of the campaign, each player has their own deck. And the cards within allow for any and all of the actions that you're going to be doing. So if I want to attack or investigate or what have you, that's resolved with a simple skill test. I might need, uh, say, five might to damage a baddie. So I just discard cards with that much might and the damage is dealt. Now, there's a modifier die, of course, but generally speaking, you have a lot of agency over the combat and the strength of the various actions that you might take. So a scenario is going to carry out on the spiral bound pages of the campaign maps book, the one thing that we like. And typically you're going to have some number of baddies and points of interest, ultimately with a scenario objective to complete. Two more things to touch on. The deck building comes to play throughout the campaign. Don't think of this as a standard deck building like the aforementioned Dominion, where your capabilities are going to skyrocket every game. Nope. This is a slow drip and it's meant to emulate your character leveling up little bit by little bit over time. You might get to finish a scenario and you might not have acquired any cards or maybe just one. Now, how about this for cool? There's okay. a row of cards that you can buy from that market, right? With four cards in it and one one's purchased, you draw the next from the deck and you add it. But among these cards, you might find story craft cards. Now, this is where I want you guys on the edge of your seat. This is the X factor here. These are character specific. So if it's got the frog image in the bottom left, only the frog can get that. It's going to outline a goal that needs to be met. Like finish the scenario with no enemies in play. If you meet that, you mark it on your campaign sheet. And the number that you just crossed off on the sheet, you punch that into the app. And you get some character specific story and rewards. Pretty cool.
1: (laughs) That is I like that a lot actually, because sometimes with Jeremy Hawthorne games, it's just very like I like my mystics, but like especially storybook games, you don't get too much character branch off paths. Yeah, they tend to be on rails. Yeah, it's on Rails, but this I that that's really cool. I'm looking at this game right now on board game geek, it looks really interesting. Okay, one last
0: thing, then you guys can interrogate me. That princess that starts the game as a baby, it has a little standee with a little baby in it. As the campaign progresses, she's going to be replaced with a new card and a new standee because now she's a girl. And then later on, she's a young lady. Your campaign and the decisions within are going to shape the character of the princess. Will she be sweet, arrogant, intelligent? It all depends on you and your campaign.
2: All right. This sounds a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I, uh-huh. I was kind of looking at it and thinking, okay, it's, you're going to flip the page, do another adventure, flip the page, do another adventure. Well, it sounds interesting, but you made it sound that much better. Now, you said there was something with you changed the standee. Now, does this thing have standees? Does it have miniatures in it? Uh, what What are the components like for this game? Now, the princess does have a standee, yes, and that will change. You just pop it out and put a new one in the
0: standee. But all of the bad guys and the familiars, they all have miniatures. And those oh. miniatures are going to play out on that spiral bound book, which we loved so much. And we're going to revisit again next week when we talk about Leviathan Wilds in our side quest. It's got little dials, you know, the the little like grommet things that you push into the dials. Uh, what? When- We've all put together a board game. You know, start punching components. Mm. And you have that little mm-hmm. like cog thing that you snap yes, the yes. dial. It's got that, and it shows your 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 power. It shows your health, etc. Uh, so it's got that going for uh, going for it as well. It's got a little punch out like component tray too, like a cardboard component tray with seven little dividers. So like your food resources, your coins, they all get to sit in there off to the side. It's got a phenomenal presentation. The artwork's cute. It's colorful. I think it's inviting for the people that it's targeting, which in my mind, that would be a more casual group or a group that's interested in a campaign that wants to dive into the story. Good mm-hmm. components in this one.
1: So something that I like about these kind of games is that pretty much anybody can learn them. Like I have my Semistics. Me and my wife really love that game because it's simple and not difficult to understand and you can focus Mm -hmm. on the story. So does the complexity of this game get in the way of the story or think they're like, how complex are you talking with this game?
0: Easy peasy. The app does a phenomenal job here of teaching the game. You can run it through like a tutorial and it'll walk you right through the first scenario. But even without it, there's not a lot of complication to be had. Uh, You got a handful of choices on your turn and, and you carry them out. I mean, it's that simple, much like other dungeon crawlers. And there's not a whole lot of nuance or details like, well, if you're in this area or if you're in the swamp or you have the slow status, right? It helps that that opening scenario is easy. And it plays more like a hand holder to get you familiar with the game. You know what I mean? And get used yeah. to the mm-hmm. symbols, get used to the skill tests. Like you're not going to die in the first scenario. You're just going to learn the game. And I appreciate when a game does that.
1: So after all is said and done, then I, I kind of maybe know the answer to this question, but do you like the game? Is it like, Is it? would you recommend it to people to play? What do you think? What's your overall like? If you could sum it up in a couple words, what would it mm. be?
0: Yeah, of course, of course. Well, well, I'm not going to sum it up in a couple words because I, I got <laughs> more to talk. <laughs> Go
1: for
0: it. Then. No, this you is your this is your me.
1: podcast. So,
0: <laughs> well, let me start here. I've never been a huge fan of skill checks in games. That happened to me with Alter Quest, where I was like, Alter Quest is really, really cool, but literally every single thing that I need to do in this game revolves around me rolling five dice, potentially modifying them, and did I pass my skill check? I don't hate it here. I think it's because your stats work from the cards that you're playing from your hand. It's not just roll dice and you know, let, like we'll say, output randomness. You have the control over what's going to to come up whenever you have a skill check. I'm a good portion into the game at this point, and I think I'm going to finish it, which for me, that's high praise. <laughs> If I can relate it to another game, uh, this kind of had shades of tainted grail, which I played all the way through. Now that's a big blockbuster mega Kickstarter thing, but there's some differences here. This has the narration for storytelling instead of flipping in the book. It has a slightly easier rule set and it's got a lower complexity for combat. And it's like a third the price, right? That's a factor. It has the benefit of being able to be played solo, much like Tainted Grail was. Now, this isn't what you might call true solo, which I don't I even like that term. But the idea behind true solo means like if a game requires four characters, that would infer that you can play the game using only one character. And that's not the case here. So in my solo scenario, I'm actually I have to set up all four of the familiars. I've got to manage all four of the decks. And that is a bit of overhead if you're going solo, because it's nearly impossible to remember all the specific ways that I'm shaping each deck. I'm still doing it, but I think the game's going to be better to, with two people and obviously better with four. All in all, the uh, the, the quick pitch, charming theme and a game that puts the theme to the forefront and not at the expense of thoughtful gameplay. I like familiar tales.
2: That's this really one cool to hear. I looked at it and I was like, oh, I don't really know, but that sounds really, really cool. I'm going to have to check that one out as well, too. Just like you said, Josh. Josh, don't jumpy. Just go along with it.
1: <laughs> That's Josh, my you favorite listen- sound.
2: Josh, you listen to the podcast. You know exactly what this is.
0: Top 100 update. Prime movers. All right, guys. Arc Nova, which was new to the top 100 something like eight weeks ago. Mm-hmm. sits at number 14. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> mm. Twa is up two points, or Troyes, for those of us in America, is up two spaces to number 90. How about that? Some some movement for an old game bumping up those right. a little bit. <laughs> okay. Got a change in the top 10. We got Terraforming Mars and Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. They're kind of dancing at that four and five spot, flipping right, back and yeah. forth. And this time, Terraforming Mars took the four spot from Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. All right. Falling Stars, Everdell down two spots. How about that? Everdell down two spots, number 29. Mage Knight, the board game down two spots, but it still holds strong at 32. The Lord of the Rings, Journeys and Middle Earth is at number 94. Down two spots. And you know what? I think a year from sometime in the next year, we're probably going to be saying, oh, it's out of the top 100. Same with Raiders of the North Sea, which is down to number 95. New highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. The previously mentioned Arc Nova is at number 14. Eclipse, second on for the galaxy, number 29. On Mars, up to number 51. The crew, Mission Deep Sea, keeps climbing. We're up to number 66 on this one. And Cascadia up to number 78.
1: That just got nominated for the Spiel des Jahres Award.
0: Let's talk birthdays, viticulture, the essential edition, five years. Food chain magnate has been in the top 100 for six years. And good old Lords of Waterdeep, 10 years, a decade of top 10 for Lords of Waterdeep.
2: This is your birthday song. It isn't very long.
0: (laughs) Guys, we got to talk a little bit about Glow, today's 8-bit breakdown, the review game. This one, we had a lot of plays on, BJ. You ready? All set. Yes, sir. Designed by Cedric Chavusa and released by Bombix in 2021, Glow is a card-drafting, dice-rolling game for two to four players. The world glows, one that's being consumed by darkness and players take on the role of adventurers who are set out to collect bursts of light. Various game effects allow you to collect them and they're essentially points as at the end of the game the winner's the player who has collected the most. Let's light up this walkthrough with the setup. Players will each pick one adventurer card who will allocate the dice that they'll have at their disposal every turn. Then, each player puts their meeple on the start space of the game board. Now, let's note here that there's a couple of board options, and in this walkthrough we'll be talking about the Province of Shadows board. The game's played over the course of eight rounds, or days. To start a round, companion cards are dealt to a market, then nine dice are rolled and placed in their corresponding areas right above the available companion's. In turn order, each player selects a companion card as well as the dice that were slotted above it. And yes, this means that some companions might only have one or two dice, while others might have several. Once companions are selected, players roll their dice. Okay, okay, hang on now. Let's briefly go over the dice. There are six different symbols that can be rolled. Water, fire, leaves, etc. There's also six different colors of dice. The blue die has one symbol on each side except for the water symbol, which shows up twice. The red die, same thing, except for the fire symbol, shows up twice. So the dice you select may have slightly higher odds of rolling specific symbols, and that's going to be really important. Okay, back to playing the game. We selected our companion and rolled our dice. Now we get to use the symbols that we rolled. If my starting card says, anytime I roll a water symbol, I get a burst of light, well, great, I score a point now. Maybe the companion I selected reads, if I didn't roll any leaf symbols, I get a free movement on the board. The point is, you're looking for certain symbols or combinations thereof to trigger your adventure and selected companions. So what if my roll was bad, you say? Well, here's where Glow gets pretty interesting. You can re-roll up to two of your dice by spending a re-roll token, which are acquired in a number of ways, or by going backwards on the point tracker to the most recent spot with a re-roll symbol. As the game progresses, these symbols become more and more scarce on the point tracker, so the cost of spending points to reroll becomes ever more steep. After using these symbols on your dice to trigger your cards, you can then use the symbols to move about the map. Your meeple might be at a crossroads, where you might need to spend a fire symbol to go one way, or a cloud to go another. The important bit with the map is that there are little bonuses that you can acquire in spots and various clearings as you get further and further from the start position that allow you to place your one encampment piece to score some endgame points. At the end of the round, the dice that you got when you selected a companion will go back to the pool to be re-rolled for next round. But your companion stays. So as the game progresses, you actually have a little tableau of companions with triggers of all kinds. After the eighth round, whoever has collected the most bursts of light wins the game. So there's always more to a game than we go over in our walkthroughs, and Glow's no exception. There's Firefly tokens to collect for bonus points, companions that will die if you roll a certain combo, and even a special footprint symbol found on the purple die that helps you move faster about the map. Make no mistake, while strategically deep though, Glow isn't all that complex. So did we collect enough light to stave off the darkness? Let's find out in the 8-bit
3: breakdown of Glow. The first day has gone too quickly, when I think we only have eight days to accomplish our mission as adventurers. (laughs) What if we don't find enough bursts of light? If the darkness takes hold forever? What if another adventurer brings back more than me? My name will be forgotten and I will disappoint my master. Nah, impossible, I owe him to be the best of all. Fortunately, a skettle joined me today. I am no longer alone, and our company will gradually grow. For now, I'm going to bed. My, my eyelids are already feeling. An old song comes to mind. The cycle is again reborn in plight. Every sixty-two years, endless spans. The darkness before us slowly expands. The deep blue of the lakes erased with no fight. Unless the only adventurer stands who, thanks to the power of elements and hands, manages to collect the burst of light.
2: All right, Patrick, thank you very much for that walkthrough of GLOW, which... Is an interesting little adventure here to go on. Mm-hmm. Now, here on the Level Up Board Game Podcast, we like to break things down into an 8-bit breakdown. I'm going to jump in here, if you guys don't mind. I'm going to take floor's the first one. All right. Okay. So, art and components. Well, to be honest, I played it on BGA, so I did not play a physical copy. So, I can't tell you what the physical components are like. But, that being said, the components look decent you've got dice, you've got cards, you've got tokens. but where I think this shines is the artwork. I, I can't put oh, my yeah. finger on oh, yeah. this, but it's just such a bizarre artwork it's it's bizarre yet charming. it's it's hard to really say. I mean if you can actually look at something where there's a deer that has tentacles coming out where its hair should be where its head should be, and you still find it charming. There's something odd yet beautiful about it. It's all done in black and white with very minimal color added in little spaces. The look is very, very cool. Do you know what this reminds me of? I was trying to put my hmm. finger on it,
1: but did you ever watch those those old books, the scary sco- scary stories to tell in the dark? Absolutely.
0: Oh, yes. I was going to say Shell Silverstein. You done stole my thunder? Go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I still like Shell Silverstein' scary stories. The the art, except you know, not nightmare inducing. Like no. these, these are like these, these these illustrations just captivate me. Like like Scott was saying, you know, black and white. We have such high quality standards of artwork nowadays in board games
3: that yes. is really
1: hard to stand out. And when you hear yeah. oh, a, yeah. a game totally being black and white, it doesn't really capture you. You want these nice sh- shades of color, these mm-hmm. you know, Rocky Lockett, Vincent trait type illustrations. But this board is just so different that it literally jumps off the table. Like, we play it on BGA, but I've been looking at pictures of it online. It literally stands out so well. I love, love the art style. Like, easily, if I can get, like, a picture like one of those like nice canvas printings of some of the artwork on this board, Mm. it'd be up in my office. I love it so much.
0: Yeah, basically, I'm just going to reiterate what you guys said. I love the black and white style. I like the the art direction. I think it it gives a little bit of the theme of the game, which we'll get to next. Otherwise, it's, I think, minimal components. I mean, you've got dice, you've got cards, but that's basically the extent of it. A board, chits. Uh, I think it's nice if you have a double-sided board so you can play with the archipelago on the back. They give you a little bit to work with there, but I don't have much to add. You guys covered it. It's got a unique <laughs> world that they created. Let's Talk about that world in bit number two, theme and immersion.
1: Yeah, so for me, the theme does not really come through, which is, it's kind of, I have a weird dichotomy of this game. The theme doesn't come through because really you're just rolling dice, taking cards, you're building a tableau, trying to get as far as you can on the map. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't feel the theme come in, but I am immersed in this game because of the way it is produced. The artwork draws me in. And the simplicity, which we'll get to the gameplay, but the simplicity of gameplay and what you're doing makes me buy into this world a little bit. I can't explain it. Like I know this, the theme isn't too strong for me, but I feel immersed in the experience I'm having because mm-hmm. of how the artwork is portrayed and how the game
2: is, you know, presented and set up. It's funny you say that because I follow this immediately because I never really truly felt immersed in this game. I never really felt a theme. I mean, yeah, you're trying to protect the light in this world, but I never really felt that I was doing that. I was just interested in what the dice were going to give me to be available to move along the path. I never felt that I had a corral for these certain beasts and this one's going to do this. And, oh, I'm glad I got this one. I'm just glad I got a card that gives me the dice I want or the yes. actions that I want. That's all that really came through. That's not a bad thing, but it's not a good thing. It's just a thing in a way if you <laughs> right. understand what I'm saying. Well, our theme here is that
0: we have 8 days to gather bursts of light. Darkness has overcome this land and and we're out and gathering companions and and that's, you know, we're we're going to capture bursts of light and we're going to restore light to this land. I'll agree with you guys. It's not a theme forward game. It's mechanics forward. now, Scott, we've been doing an awful lot of space based lately uh, doing yes. the asymmetric play. Dude, I get a, every time I feel my pocket buzz. I'm like, oh, is it my turn in space base? <laughs> space based, I don't think anybody feels like they're getting rocket ships and, and exploring no. space or uh, I'll be honest. I don't even know what the hell the theme is. I don't care. The game is quality. You know what I mean? You yes. don't need a good theme. The theme could be anything, and I will enjoy that game. And I think that's how I feel about Glow. It's cool that they found a neat way to tie it in, and it works with the artwork. It works with it. The only bits of color you see are in the dice. Uh, I like that. But no one's going to play this game because, oh, I want to take eight days and go capture light. No, mm-hmm. people are playing this game because they want to build that engine. There's a lot going on in doing so. Let's talk bit number three. Complexity. Is this a difficult game to learn and to grok? Josh?
1: No, I don't think it is at all. I mean, I had one read of the rule book, and Mm -hmm. we'll get to the rule book, but I understood it. I understood what we were doing in the game. We sat down on BGA, pretty much understood exactly what was going on, what all the components did, what all the cards did. We played one game, and then maybe I took us maybe like 20 minutes when we were first playing the game to figure out, okay, maybe here's some of the little nuances, and then we were just moving. Mm -hmm. Like when we we played together, not in secrecy, but like live together, it was really quick once we picked up the hang of it. So I don't think it's that complex at all.
2: Yeah, I don't find it to be complex. It's fiddly is, is the word that came to my mind. And the whole idea that you're basing all your success on the roll of the dice. You get some ability to manipulate the dice, but that's about it. There's not a whole long list of, well, if this happens, you do this, and then this will then trigger this. No, it's very streamlined as to what you can do, but it really comes down to a lot of luck, really. I'll have some things to say about that when we get to the meat of the game, Scott. Mm.
0: As Rob would say, I'm going to put a pin in that. (laughs) complexity I'm going to agree with both of you it's not a difficult game to figure out there's not a whole lot of if X then Y and if Y then Z this is an easy game and I think that you're going to understand what you're doing you could probably read the rule book and sit down and know how to play and only have to glance back at the rule book once or twice I'm getting ahead of myself bit number four is the rule book full disclosure I think we all had the chance to see this one in its uh, click on the file format which is the exact same thing but we didn't hold it in our hand. So if it's got super glossy finish or if the pages uh, all have a hole in them the size of Tennessee, we don't know. (laughs) But we did see the online version of it. And it starts off, it's got that lovely uh, flavor, that thematic, like a pretend journal as through the eyes of one of these characters going through each of the eight days. And then it breaks down the rules. It's got a really nice little icon list on the back. So if you're hung up on that Firefly bottle, it shows you right there what it does, how to collect it. Wait, what's a minus footprint tells you right there. I thought the rule book was quality. Let's talk a little bit about the learning
2: curve, the other half of bit, number four. What do you guys think? I let BGA just hold my hand and take me through things. So if I mm-hmm. clicked on something it said, you can't do that, well, that's how I learned it. Um, <laughs> <but> the- <laughs> well, did you learn it that way? Did it that work? is the way I learned it. So it's not that hard. You roll out a pool of dice, and they fall into certain areas, and you take the dice you want. So you're sitting there thinking, please don't take that big group of dice. Please don't. Oh, my God, Josh, I hate you so much. A (laughs) box on your family. You took that pool of dice I wanted. (laughs) You just want to make sure that you have the dice that you want and have the most variability to get what you want. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing you really need to learn from this game here. There's really not a lot to it. If you have the thing with the symbols on the back, that explains things as well, too. There's not a lot of depth to this.
1: I think the learning curve is... In, a, in its right place for a dice manipulation game. Anybody can jump in and do well the first game, mm-hmm. but people who play this more often will understand the nuances of the cards and the board. I do think there is some strategy to when you want to draft cards and when you want to manipulate your dice, especially, I'll get this to it, where's the meat of the game? The decision to reroll when it, knowing mm-hmm. when to do that and when is important really is the learning curve of the game is when do you accept what you have and when do you choose to reroll? So I think there's enough here for people who want to continue to play glow like me to have fun, but also not enough to where a person new can come in and feel like they're getting destroyed.
0: Yeah. I'm going to talk about where's the meat. Bit number five, where is the meat? Every game's got that mechanism or a group thereof where you really got to put your brain to work and figure out what you're going to do. Sometimes that can be a social deduction game where the meat is in the interaction with other people. Where is it in glow? I'll tell you what, drafting those companions at the start of the round, you roll those dice and they go above the companions, figure out which one is best for me, which one works with what I'm trying to do, and then what? dice or above it. Let's not forget Scott, you had mentioned that there's there's a big luck factor in. Mm-hmm. Yes, sometimes there is. And let me tell you, every time, if I rolled my dice and I had a leaf and a water symbol and I was like, oh I'm going to re-roll those. So I pay my token, I re-roll them. I can guarantee you at least two re-rolls, it's going to come up with a, a leaf, leaf and in a water, water symbol. symbol. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you've got, what, five different colors of dice and like the red die has the fire symbol twice. The green die has the leaf twice so you can play around a little bit with that and whenever you're looking at that that card row of what you want to draft you might have a a guy down there that says hey if you roll all of your dice and there's no water symbols you get three bursts of light that's phenomenal right above it there's four dice that's phenomenal too but three of them are dark blue which is the one that has the higher odds of getting the water symbol. So I can get this really cool companion and I can get four dice for this round, but the odds of me triggering this companion this round, because I took three blue dice, there is a lot of playing around with the odds and the variables that they sink into those odds are what's the card that you're taking? What are the cards that you already have? And what are the colors of the dice you have thus increasing the probabilities of various symbols? I love that. I felt, Scott, you'd mentioned, oh, I didn't think this was, uh, this was the, the deepest of games, but considering its time frame, it's not a super deep game, but considering that it is a shorter game, we'll say a half an hour once you have it figured out, mm-hmm. I thought there was a lot going on,
2: but that's just my opinion. Scott, where's the meat in Glow? Well, in my opinion, the meat of this was in the map on the board, because whenever you're traveling, you travel along, You have to have certain symbols in order to travel certain paths. Yeah. And along the path you go, you have different places where you can place your encampment and get points for it. All right. Now, this way here gives the least resistance and it's the easiest way to go but that way there is going to be a little bit longer but i need just one type of symbol. Right. Hmm, which one am i going to go? So that's where it really got to me because you get busy trying to keep track of your points and everything and then the next thing you know someone's up in the top corner getting 20 points for their encampment. It. It's like <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Are you going to take the safe route or are you going to go for broke and go for the big one it's and, try and the shoot the problem moon there? And so many times, whenever I played it, you get going along so long, far, and then you get stuck on a path somewhere, and you don't have anything done, and you're just left in the dirt. Something tells me, Josh, you're going to tell us about reroll
0: tokens and the cost of sacrificing <laughs> points, and I think you're right.
1: Fill yeah. Us in. When I usually play games, I don't pay much attention to the opponent's score too much, only because once I can't do much about it. But in this game, when you choose to re-roll your dice, you actually go back on the point tracker, and if you don't
0: have a token, you can spend a token. Yeah, if you don't to spend re-roll a token, one or two.
1: Yeah, and I never had tokens for some reason, like just because <laughs> the cards I drafted, so I was always moving back on this track, and all of these things—the the, tableau building, the dice rolling—you know—I think all of these lead, funnel into this one decision: is do I re-roll my dice, and how often do I re-roll it? What makes this game wonderful for me is that the, the more points you get, the more you build your engine, the less opportunities you have to re-roll your dice without losing, like, 30 points. In the beginning, it's like, okay, right. you lose one or two, you lose one or two points for, you know, re-roll, like, not a big deal. But as the game progresses, everyone starts building their engine, you know, okay, you're going to start losing five points. Now, ten points. Okay, now that you're past 30... You're going to lose 60 points if you decide to – re. it's like 30 points, but you're going to lose 30 points to re-roll. The
0: way that this is shown is you have your score tracker going around the board, Adventurers. And what I want you to do is I want you to envision the numbers going around the board, say 1 through a 100. On spaces 1 through 10, there's a little re-roll symbol on like every single space. So if you have – 11 points, and you want to reroll, you just move your marker back to the last reroll symbol on that score tracker. Thus, you've only sacrificed one point. But as you start getting into the 20s, the 30s, the 40s on that score tracker, there's only a reroll symbol once every like 10, 12, 15 spaces. So if you're at 68 points and the last reroll symbol was all the way back at 52, who? that's way too big an investment to say, yeah, you know what? I'll pay the points to re-roll two
1: dice. Yeah. And during our two-player game we played, that became super critical for me. That was a really close game, like by a matter of two points. Yeah. And so I was re-rolling a lot, trying to build my engine up. When I got to that point where I was very far ahead, I had to stop and think, okay, I can't do much re-rolling anymore. What does Patrick have going on right now? And I saw you had a lot of really good things going on. I was like, oh, snap, I need to change my strategy completely because I was relying so much on these re-rolls, I had to look at my board, like, where am I on the board? Oh, darn, I can't really move anywhere now. So that decision to re-roll and to change your outcome that you already had, all these dice, to me, that was the most interesting decision of the game and where the meat lies watching when to you know, re-roll your dice again.
0: And look at what that does whenever you're starting a game and you have the option of those starting companions uh, or starting characters that you take. There's one of them that says, well, if you don't roll these symbols, you get a re-roll token. Wow, that's going to change how you're going to value that after you've had a game where you saw it work out so well. Two-player game also, you set up those five companions each round to draft in two-player. Scott, I don't think you did a two-player at no. any point. We we did three-player, so you take turns drafting a companion and the dice above it. In two-player, if you're the active player, you take a companion and the dice above it, and then you remove a second companion and the dice above it and just get rid of it. Then the other person gets to make their pick. So you do really start to like focus on, okay, what do they have? What are they trying to get? Which one am I going to take away? Yeah, yeah. It got profound.
1: Yeah, hmm. no, there, there was, it was fuming with the essence of hate drafting. I tried to avoid <laughs> hate drafting, but like this, I was like, I need to destroy Patrick. To. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, and I, really, this- I think I think this game does it well though. I really enjoyed the drafting, especially at two player.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, hearing this, th- I think this leads into our next bit then with the replayability and the variability. There's a big difference in this. I know a lot of times they kind of get a little foggy and blend together in this, but I didn't see a huge bit of variability. I mean, there, yeah, there's a little bit here and there. The replayability, though, I think that one definitely shines because you really stop and look at what I'm going to do the next time. Or how Mm -hmm. do I do it this way the next time? Let me try this one. It does open up to a lot of different strategies for you to play. And that's something that I did like about it. But yeah, that was was what I really liked about it. What kind of strategies are going to open up for me for the next time I play it?
1: I agree with you, Scott. I think you put it on the nose. You know, you're not gonna be doing much different game to game. It's gonna be the same kind of loop. You know, roll mm-hmm. dice, take a companion, try to get as far in the map as possible. You know, not lots of variability, but replayability. Because you know it's a luck game. You know there's there's some there's lots of luck in the game as far as rolling the dice and being able to do stuff that way. Each game is going to feel different, especially when you're when you're starting character. They start with a different set of dice. They have different abilities. The the way the characters are going to come out each game, the, like all their companions. Each time it's going to be super different. Going to have different dice traps each time. Me, I mean, I don't see myself getting tired of this game easily because each decision you have to make in the game is gonna be super important. The dice rolls are gonna be different each time, obviously. So variability, you Now you're playing the same game each time, but replayability, I could see playing this game ten or twelve more times and me not getting tired of it.
0: Yeah, it definitely plays out with a, with like a game arc. You said there's not much that's going to change in the way of like how you approach the game, but what will change is you have the option of one of eight different characters to start the game. So there's eight plays right there, just eight differences, eight variables. And then there's five companions that are put out. You're going to select one and the next round, you're going to select another one. And then next round, you're going to get it and so on, right? So let's suppose we're three rounds into the game. I've got my starting character and I've got two companions or three companions next to my starting character. I guarantee you that setup, those four cards are never going to be the same for me ever again. Now, that doesn't mean that the game is profoundly different, but it does make it replayable. Anytime I finish a game, I'm like, okay, let's go again. Let's go again. I want to start with red dice this time. I want to start with that one that gives me three of a kind for five points. And so I can't just go up the point tracker. Not a lot of variables, a lot of replayability. Absolutely. Well, guys, like with any game, there's always going to be some downsides, some things that we didn't especially love. I'm going to give Josh the floor for this one.
1: So the two things I believe are going to push people away from this game are the two things that I thought were the most fun. And that is the hate drafting aspect and mm-hmm. the, the dice rolling. Yep. So you can ha- build this wonderful engine that okay, if you er- if everything goes perfectly well, you're getting 30 points in one turn. But that's the thing is, is, does everything go perfectly? Yeah, there's some aspects of being able to re-roll the dice and some dice manipulation. But in general, you are trying to roll the dice and see what comes out and hope for the best. Lots right. of people don't like that. I personally don't mind it, but I could see someone saying, like, eh, you know, I could build this great engine. It still doesn't matter if I have a bad dice roll. The other aspect, the hate drafting, you know, I see this more in a two-player game than anything. You know, if you see someone really needs this many dice and that card, I could just discard it from you. You don't get it. And that could feel bad for some people. Mm-hmm. And I personally don't mind it, but thinking it's from an objective point of view, those two things I could see – Putting people
2: off from this game. Sure, Scott. Well, my downside is a four-letter word and it ends with "uck," and that would be luck. (laughs) Uh, Luck is a huge, huge thing here with this. Like you said, with the dice rolling, that is the main gist of things here. You roll those dice. No matter what cards you have, if those dice don't come up what you need, you're out of luck. I mean, that's a big thing. You can mitigate some things here and there, but it's going to cost you. So, yeah, I think that the luck is the main aspect that could push people away. I think you said that was a great way, Josh, with pushing people away from this game instead of just like not interesting them or whatever, because anyone can sit down and play this game because it has such an interesting presence. You want to know more about it. But then once you get into it and you realize that the whole game is based on what you roll, and if you are one of those people that have bad luck rolling dice, eh, you might not come back to this that often, or else you're going to be chalking off one hour of your life. You're never going to get back again.
0: I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let that fly for both you guys, but I'm also going to qualify that a little bit. See, I, I did not find this to be a very lucky heavy game if you're rolling seven blue dice and you just need one water symbol theoretically yes it's possible that it doesn't show up and you have to spend a luck token that you don't have or that, yeah it's a, well i actually call it it well no it's a re-roll token i thought they called it a luck token a re-roll token i think that the game gives you enough agency with working out the probabilities and the odds and then you factor in a re-roll token and it just makes it that much more in your hands. When I think of luck in a game, I think back to, geez, way, way back when we would play Axis and allies and Axis and allies is a game that crescendos into one giant fight where somebody inevitably has lost enough territory that they're going to lose the game. But what ends up happening is one person gets to roll 60 dice versus the other person rolling 60 dice, right? So if you have 60 D sixes and you need a two or less to hit, you're going to, you should come away with 20 hit. Okay. Now there's going to be some variance there. Sometimes you're going to come away with 16. Sometimes you're going to walk away with 24, but generally the more dice you add, the closer you're going to be to exactly one third. On the other hand, if we take just one die and we roll it needing a two or less, we have exactly one third. We can't count on anything. We only know that we have one third. I think it was an old Engelstein thing that he used to hammer home, and he's absolutely right. The more die rolling there is in a game, technically, the less luck there is in a game. But I think where it can be profound and glow, and this is why I'm going to give it a pass, is because, man, towards that end of the game, when you have everything set up and you get that roll of five dice and you need to see certain symbols, it can be profound. Much like that big crescendoing battle in Axis Now is like, okay, I have 60 dice. I should get about 20 hits. Holy crap, I came up with 11. It really hits hard in that pivotal moment where you need the averages to work and they don't. There is potential for that in Glow. My downside that I wrote down is, is more on the two-player side. When Josh and I were playing, there is a potential where, you know, you roll those nine dice above the companions. Four of them went here. Four of them went there. One went on this guy. So Josh drafts one of the guys with four above it. He takes away one that has four above it. And now I basically, without, well, I could take this one guy with one die and I'm only going to be rolling three this round. That hurts. And that is entirely random.
2: Yeah, that I was going to say that goes back to the whole thing, rounding things up here with what Josh said with the hate drafting playing three player. You're that third player waiting to get something. And all you have is a card that gives you some ability at the bottom and no dice or one die. So you Mm -hmm. end up with three dice. Yeah, you're going to get one success. But what's that one success really going to do you? I mean, you're at the point there. You're just like. I guess it is the randomness there with what people are going to be doing ahead of you. And that
0: works the other way too. If you're up first this round and you roll the nine dice and they go two, 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 one. Well, darn it. This was my turn to go first. This was my turn to collect four dice. And we came up with an even distribution. You know what I mean? Like it can go that way too. And and negatively impact you. Mm
2: -hmm. I think this all comes down to the whole thing of, was it fun? And who's it for me? Yeah, it was, it was fun. I don't think I'm going to introduce newer games to it because it makes you think differently than you normally would in a game. This is one where you get more experienced gamers into this. Am I going to go back to it? Perhaps to for, uh, refresh my memory, if we're going to be talking about it or something like that, To what the game You're going to have to next year when we do our time warp. I know. I know. <laughs> but I don't know. if It's not one that I would rush out to and add to my collection. Fair it's, point. In my book. I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I had the experience. I'm ready to move on, personally. Josh?
1: I'm a little bit different. I am rushing to get this into my collection. I had a blast with Glow. I like dice games a lot. I enjoy dice manipulation games even more. Things like Dice Throne or you know things of such a nature. Dice Throne, Monsterlands, those kind of games. I really do like those kind of games. And so when I played this... I was just having a blast the whole time trying to figure out the little nuances. For me in my own part, it's really fun. Who is it for? I think people who don't mind a little bit of luck in their games, but still want meaty decisions will enjoy this game. I'm with Scott, where, you know, I wouldn't introduce this to beginning gamers because it does allow you to think a little bit differently beyond some basic introductory gateway games. But for people who are exp- who have played you know, lots of games, maybe they played a clank or they've played something along the lines of maybe even like Meister Mystics or Familiar Tales, I sit down with them and be like, hey, this is a fun little 45-minute adventure game that we can, don't have to worry about the theme at all, decisions. We can just sit down and have fun rolling some dice and enjoy this beautiful artwork. What about you, Patrick?
0: I think I'm going to be looking to pick this one up. I like that it gives a lot of gameplay in a very compact time frame. Normally, you're playing a half an hour game. You're playing something dumb. Or you're playing a a one-trick pony, a one-mechanic type of game. This one gives you a lot to consider. We played our first game and I thought, oh, that was cute. That was cute. Yeah, neat artwork. We roll some dice. We did some things. Cute. Then I played it again. Oh, wait a minute. What if I start with this adventurer? And then we played it again. Oh, I started with that adventurer. Now I have reason to go with this guy because he's got... These dice above him, it, the game grew on me a lot. Like there was a lot of emergent skill for what I initially thought was just kind of a dumb dice chucker. It very quickly evolved into a game with a lot of meat on the bones for a relatively short time frame on the table who's it for i mentioned before space base a similar style of game you roll dice you allocate dice etc any of these these dice mechanism games if that's your jam i think you're gonna like this you factor in the cute artwork the little bit of movement around the board i think glow is a winner so a bit of a mix from level up josh gives it a thumbs up i'm gonna be seeking out a copy
4: scott says "Eh,
1: i'm in it, but i think
4: i'm done with it that's okay scott no one's perfect
0: that music means we're going to go back one year in time to when we reviewed Beyond the Sun. This, of course, being the tech tree game. The board is one giant tech tree just smattered with a whole bunch of face down cards and a little map over to the left. You are colonizing planets. You're upgrading your tech levels all in order to accomplish achievements and win the game Beyond the Sun. Let's take a look back. Scott, your thoughts about Beyond the Sun
2: then? Do they hold up today? I think so. I was really enamored by the fanciful artwork and the the miniatures that were involved with this. It was re- oh, there were not men. Never mind. I, <laughs> I read the wrong thing here.
1: Uh, I was like,
2: what did I miss? <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, yes it is boring as hell to look at you walk up somebody and you look at that game you're like oh my god they're working on like some cad system trying to design uh, a new building or something but this is fun in the fact that you're really making a lot of decisions your decisions Mm -hmm. are based on what you're going to be doing how you're moving not on dice rolls or what cards you're going to play at a certain time and you have everything out on the board. It's right there in front of you. You can see exactly what line you're going to take. I played it enough times. I think I've seen probably every card that they have in this set. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really being surprised by it anymore, but it's a surprise as to where it's going to show up in that tech tree. Still really love it. I'm still learning new things here about it every now and then as to what would work out better to do it this way, do it this way. Yeah. I think it still holds up. I liked it then. I still like it now. I really, really do enjoy Beyond the Sun. Josh, we forced you to
0: play a game of Beyond the Sun with us so that you could
1: attest to it now. What did you think? Well, despite being held against my will. um,
0: (laughs) Shut up Um, and talk about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought this game was really well done. Each decision you made, it had you know, major consequences. You know, mm-hmm. you, you told me that, but you told me when you were teaching me the game, I've not forgot the exact aspect. Basically when you had a technology and you got to upgrade, a card came out and they had two options, like a military or some sort of yes, tech option.
2: Economic and or something. You
1: said both of these are going to be super good. Just pick one. Don't worry about it too much. And, you know, as I started to understand the game, I was like, oh my gosh, these decisions are super hard because each ability is so good.
0: <laughs> they do matter. They do matter. In the learning game, though, I didn't want you to get bogged down with like, oh, you need to worry about commerce typically does this, whereas economics mm-hmm. typically does that.
1: You know, I can see why people love this game, though. I really do. Uh, this is something that's, I might not put in my collection just because, you know, I don't tend to play lots of more complex games with my immediate game group. But if someone said, hey, do you want to play Beyond the Sun? I wouldn't hesitate because the decisions you make and the idea of just having one worker, you got to move around. And that little mm-hmm. the little space track on the side, the little area control aspect, not a huge part of the game, but still big enough to where it matters. I absolutely had a blast with Beyond the Sun. I'm glad you guys invited me and showed it to me.
0: And Patrick. I think when we did our top 10 games that we reviewed last year, this came in at number three behind only Twilight Imperium and Brass, which that means that to me, this was the best new to me game last year. Because I had already played Twilight Imperium and Brass. I knew of those already. This game's phenomenal. I will play this any and every time I'm ready for an expansion. I recommend it to anyone who likes a slightly heavier game. You feel clever. You feel like you're putting plans together. You feel powerful. Oh my God. When you flip up a level three tech that just, oh, look what I can do. You feel unique. You get to do things that other people can't yet. This checks every box. I absolutely love Beyond the Sun. If you haven't played it, go get you a copy.
4: More work? All right. Time to polish this turd. Scrub, scrub, rub, rub, zob, zob. Welcome, folks. Dear the Hungry Gamer is back visiting Level Up Board Game Podcast as their resident dung merchant with a series we're calling Polishing the Turd with the Dung Merchant. And it's kind of a harsh name, but really what this is all about is I'm looking at games that just needed one more thing to really pop, to make it shine. And these might be games that needed a rules edit. They might be, you just need one expansion. Or, who knows, something like that. Maybe it's a different amount of player count that it needs to really, really work. But, for the first game, this is one that, if you follow my channel at all, you've probably heard me talk about several times. And this is from Slugfest Games, and it is called Red Dragon Inn Battle for Greyport. And you may already be familiar with the Red Dragon Inn, which is a really fun take-that-style card game with a really a fantastic kind of lore around it. Battle for Greyport falls into that same world using a lot of the same characters, but it is a cooperative deck builder. And it's a deck builder that has a couple things that I really like about it. It has the lack of cards that you use just to buy more cards. And I I never like that in deck builders. It always just feels like a wasted turn. I'm just using cards to buy more stuff. And this one, every round, you know exactly what you have to spend. At the end of each turn, you're going to be able to spend it and buy stuff. And then all of the combat you're doing against all the monsters that you're trying to defend against, you're going to be rolling dice. And the dice you roll are going to be based off of the characters and equipment and stuff that you're able to give to the characters that you've been buying as you've been building up your deck as you go through the game. This is why this falls into this segment. It's because when this game was first released, it was impossible. You simply could not beat it. I've actually never beaten the tutorial mission as it is written. Because of this, and you know, there's a lot of other games that came out at the same time that were in the kind of the same space. There was a Harry Potter deck builder that came out around the same time, so obviously that kind of stole a bit of the thunder that it may have had. But really, the biggest thing that happened to start out was you just couldn't win. It was punishingly, punishingly hard, and it really just wasn't any fun. Like, I got it and I was playing it because I love this world. I think it's a The characters are fun, I love the idea. Like I said, there's so many things that I like. All the different scenarios that you can play, the different characters that you can play, the abilities that they have, the way they level up, all of that's just fantastic. But you just couldn't win. And this, again, is the tutorial that you couldn't win. And so I started developing house rules and all these different things. But mostly, it just sat on my shelf. However eventually they put out a rules errata where basically it was a big old mea culpa that said, okay, here are some major changes that you can put in the game if it's too hard. And sure, there were some people out there that's like, oh, it's so great. I love my co-ops where you can never win. But not me. I'm not one of those people. But now that they have the new rule set, and there's even an expansion that came out where you can actually get the rule set all kind of printed out and everything, the game is just great. It is easily one of my favorite deck builders. Probably my favorite deck builder, period. It's all because of they made one little change, and that took this game from what was, to me, a bit of a turd, and turned it into something that is just fantastic. Thank you so much to King Scott for giving me the illustrious position of dung merchant, and then also that other guy. I don't know what his position is, but, you know, he's around too. Ooh, whale. That sounds like quite a plopper from King Scott. I guess it's time for quite the fire sale, if you knows what I mean. <laughs> well, back to the show.
0: King Scott, I thought you and Will were kind of at odds with each other. It sounds like maybe he's trying to, to mend some wounds.
2: Uh, what, is, what are your thoughts? Well... Upon those things there, uh, we are looking at negotiations to put things behind us, if you will. Oh, perhaps he can make I, a I tithing know you know. to uh gain your I, approval. I, I think we need to have <laughs> a, a discussion over some bourbon at origins. I think that's the main thing we need to do.
0: Yes adventures will brown is the host uh well he's the hungry gamer he does uh, hungry reviews you'll see his face biting the the box you see it on kickstarters from time to time he has his own channel and whatnot do give uh, give will a, a look sometime he does a ton a metric ton of content, very prominent in the creator space and always uh, seems to be sort of a group hug guy, always looking out for other creators and helping out as he's Mm -hmm. done a great deal for us. He's going to teach us Lunar Rush at Origins, and hopefully we can treat him
2: to some bourbon. Yep. That sounds fantastic.
1: So I was under the impression we're supposed to talk about Origins in games. Why are we talking about
2: alcohol and like <laughs> well josh you uppity pain in the butt you come <laughs> on here for one show like this and join us and already you're barking out orders Patrick, oh my i thought we we're going to talk about origins <laughs> you called him an
0: uppity pain i just i picture that scene from the office
2: dwight you ignorant slut <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. We got Origins on the horizon today. When this episode goes live, it is Thursday the 2nd. Hopefully, you're getting juiced up for some Origins, and I know we are. All right, gentlemen, I want to talk three games apiece. We can't go too deep because this episode is getting long in the tooth, but what has you getting all giddy for Origins? Let's do it. Josh, you're the guest. So let's do uh, Josh, Scott, me, and we'll just go around the table one at a time.
1: Well thank you sirs. So the first game I want to talk about is Blood on the Clock Tower. Um, this this is something I heard about a couple of years ago from Shut Up mm-hmm. and Sit Down in you know, a long way they reign. But <laughs> it's a it's um it's a social deduction game via Werewolf Mafia style. I don't know too much about it except that people tell me it is the best version of Werewolf mm-hmm. Mafia. Basically the idea is that you are a play a group of people and someone's been Basically, I think speared onto a clock tower and there's blood all over this giant clock tower. You're trying awesome. to figure out together, yeah, you're trying to figure out together. cool image, who murdered this person who now dangles on this clock. But what makes it interesting to me is that mostly in Werewolf Mafia, once you're eliminated, you're out of the game and you just kind of sit around. This game, mm-hmm. not so. It's designed around making sure everyone is keeping in contact with each other and you're involved the entire game. So you can become a ghost and you only talk with certain ghosts. Sometimes the ghosts can give hints to players who are alive. There's dozens of different roles and at origins with a bunch of strangers. I want to get into this because I don't get to play with lots of people too often. And so Blood on the Clock Tower, super excited to sit down with a bunch of strangers and figure out a murder mystery.
0: Wait, so they actually have events set up. I didn't see this on the event page.
1: Yes. No, they have events on Blood on the Clock Tower. I signed yes. up for it. and uh, There's still some spots open late at night.
0: <laughs> Send me a PM for
2: when you sign. I will absolutely. Scott, you're in too, right? Oh, sure. Uh, I know on Instagram, there's another one, Gnarly Carly Gaming, and mm-hmm. she just constantly goes on about Blood on the Clock Tower. That's like her absolute favorite game. Love I'll it. See I-
1: I'll see if I can find a spot where they have things open and see if we can get a game together in.
2: Sounds yeah, great. Absolutely. Scott, what's got you excited? Well, mine that I'm looking forward to is usurp the king, and That's designed by. No, well, yeah, yeah, it's designed by Dan <laughs> Hundits, published by DPH Game. The king may be in trouble. The court that surrounds him contains subjects who seek power. Each player represents a family that will vie for control over subjects. It just looks like a fun game to play there. You have two different phases. The intrigue phase, where players will gather information, exert influence, and gather resources. And each member of the court has a role. Each player may look at one role to figure out who they are. Then there's a rebellion phase. And after each player has taken five turns during the intrigue phase, they will keep five cards in their hands and set four cards aside in a reserve. In order to leverage item number, cards will be played to bribe, conspire, stab, poison and to shift alliances and you have seven different ways that you can win this game so there's a lot of different ways you can win this game a lot of things going on i like this thing for the theme i think the theme sounds like a lot of fun Mm -hmm. i love the idea of the card play of playing that around but (laughs) i like the the idea of this game it just sounds like a lot of fun uh patrick i know you you probably have like (laughs) a spreadsheet Forty-two. <laughs> you probably have a map laid out in like a line as to how you can get from each spot in the most efficient manner so what's your one game that you want to one of the games that you want to look out for
0: i'm going to start with Catherine, the cities of serena this one comes from capstone games designed by johannes schmeider koenig i think the first thing that grabbed me for this one much like so many others is the artwork. We've got a colorful board, a deck of cards, some wooden components. It looks like a classic Euro, a classic style, and it's got kind of a renaissance-y artwork, similar to what we saw in Brian Baru. Let's talk theme. From BoardGameGeek, Catherine the Cities of Serena takes two to four players to the Tsarist Empire of 1762 to win the Serena's Favor with the help of an innovative card mechanism. As is so often the case, different strategies can lead to different goals. Do you devote yourself to the development of the fine arts or trade, or do you perhaps prefer to secure arms and thus perpetuate the empire? With each card you hold, you must decide whether to gain the resources and use the action on that card or whether to throw it away to activate another action. So looking into this a little bit further, it looks like players have a starting row of cards that they can add to, and these are going to have triggers and areas of events on top. And then underneath that, you put cards that you're going to use for activations. Each turn, you draw two cards. One's going to go into the action row. The other goes into the activation row, triggering cards that are above it. Man, I'm looking forward to this because it has that engine building element that I really love, coupled with resource gathering from the map that makes up the board. And you factor in that it's apparently for ages eight and up, and it leads me to believe that it's a game that I'm going to be able to understand and teach myself. (laughs) And it sounds like it's got a bit of depth. That's Catherine, The Cities of Serena. Let's go back to Josh. Give us your second one.
1: Now, I think Scott's going to be proud of me for this. The, The game I have I'm looking forward to next is Warhammer 40k.
0: End the show. (laughs) So I gotta play the I gotta play the ignorant slut audio again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I I am an ignorant slut because I have not yet played (laughs) a miniature's game yet. I've been looking at I've been with this local I have a local green group that I'm starting, and one of the guys there, Jody, keeps wanting me to jump in and play some Warhammer with him, but I've never played before. I hear Scott talk about a lot. I hear lots of people talk about how much fun it is. They say it's everyone's favorite world to immerse himself into, but nobody mm-hmm. actually wants to live in because of what, what Warhammer actually is. I know nothing about miniatures games except like the names of some. So I am I saw that they were doing like, hey, learn to play Warhammer. I was like, you know what? I'm going to jump into this, this pool and see how deep I go and see how much I like it. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'm just excited. I, I, Scott, I mean, what do you have to say about Warhammer any, any suggestions or advice? Oh no, oh. no guys, we're running short on time.
2: <laughs> no, uh, I've played in a couple of things where they have the learn to play Warhammer and they do a great job of distilling it down to the finest points of it. Uh, you'll have a couple of units you're going to play with. They make it very, very simple. Their starter sets are excellent for that to learn how to play. Another one to take a look at is Kill Team. That mm-hmm. one there, you're playing on a much smaller level, very thematic. You're learning each one of the figures you're playing instead of just you have a unit here and a unit here. It makes it for like you're setting up the cast from Predator. So each one has yeah. their own specialty. So it's it's very, very cool thing. It's an amazing world that they've created, and it's only grown in popularity over the years that's another one if you do that i may jump in there and and come over with you too as well in the meanwhile scott what's one that you're looking forward to jumping into this one here i saw the picture of it and i'm like there's no way i'm gonna like this and i started looking into it and like by god i'm intrigued cryptid cafe and designed Mm -hmm. by chip cole and published by 25th century games You're a lead server at the Cryptid Cafe, a Sasquatch-owned restaurant packed with legendary creatures from all over the world. Right there, I normally would be out. I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm not going to play this cutesy thing here. But it goes on that you need to dispatch your team of Sasquatch servers to different food stations, gathering the much-needed items, and complete your customers' orders. The idea of getting the resources, putting together and filling out what the menu things are needed for certain customers. There's something about that that I'd love that mechanic. It's just a lot of fun pulling those out, making sure like, OK, I need that. I need that. I need that. How can it be sneaky to go over and get that and that and that? Just a great idea. I'm, I'm excited to play this as in it's a light game. It's something fun. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to Cryptid Cafe.
0: And it's got a short play time, it says 30 to 60 minutes, plays one to five. Yeah, I'll be curious to find out after or during Origins how you feel about this one.
2: Yes, yes, most definitely. And Patrick, what is your second one you're looking forward to?
0: Next one up is Burn, to, Burn Cycle.
2: Oh. You're going to go for Warhammer 2. Oh, well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Burn Cycle comes from Josh Carlson and Shannon Wedge. They designed this Kickstarter, which was a success from Chip Theory Games. I think it was live back in like September last year. We've got a puzzly infiltration game. to one to four players Burn Cycle puts you in command of a team of robots in the far future. Their mission, taking down evil human run corporations responsible for subjugating AI under their heel. Your team arrives at each corporate headquarters and must sneak inside, shutting down the company's physical operations, as well as their circuitous circuitous, circuitous, circuitous digital networks. <laughs> as you search rooms and advance to the higher floors, you'll be rewarded with new items and new abilities, but you'll also be challenged by threatening guards, fatal viruses, and the architecture itself, which was built to fight off intruders. Now, when this was on Kickstarter, I was considering backing it based on the Chip Theory Games track record. The truth is, I know very little about Burn Cycle. I know it's a co-op game that can be played solo, and the focus of the game is like action programming. Now, action programming is simply laying out the actions that you intend to take in the round and then carrying them out one at a time, typically being unable to make changes to what you've already pre-planned. Think Lords of Zitted or a previous spiel winner, a, a Colt Express Now, I understand Burn Cycle does, in some way, allow for altering those pre-programmed actions, and I want to see how it does that. The robots that you get to use have asymmetric abilities and unlockable skills, plus the robot cards are double-sided. I understand the back of them show like a command module, which is a way that you can... I don't know if it's like an unlock or or whatnot, but it it sounds like there's a, a lot of variability in your play based on which one you opt to use as a command module... From the looks of it, the abilities of robots are designed to make you feel mega powerful. They're game-breaking abilities. That's got me excited to play Burn Cycle.
1: Josh, you got one more on the list. This is—I left this one for last because I am the most excited about this one. I am taking part in a game of Den of Wolves. Are you too familiar with Mega Games?
0: Oh, yeah. You're okay. talking like 30, 40, 100 people. Ooh. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah.
1: So this is the first year, the basically, the American game Mega Coalition, from my understanding, is bringing Mega Games to Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been intrigued with Mega Games ever since I saw a video about someone detailing about a game called Watch the Skies. This looks right. Yes. I, being a huge RPG player, being a theater kid as well, this is something I'm I'm super looking forward to actually taking a part of and den of wolves so den of wolves is a game about the interactions between politics and survival during a time of crisis players represent the vessels in the survivor fleet of a group of surviving vessels fleeing from a catastrophic attack by a ruthless enemy these vessels are trying to survive in the midst of a crisis so really you get in there you sign up and this is one of the events it's not free you have to pay for it again but you get in there and you're given a role with a small group of people, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to manage resources and talk with these other groups of players in order to try to get the best situation to survive this crisis together. I don't know much anymore besides that, but I'm super intrigued to see how this plays out because I'm wanting to run a mega game myself one day, and everyone I talk to in the mega game community says to go one first, and this is a really good one to start with. So Mm -hmm. if you like Battlestar Galactica type stuff or Unfathomable, that's what it's been most compared to in a much grander super scale, this is a game for you. So I'm really pumped again to see how this plays out. That's going to be pretty much my entire Saturday morning is doing this Den of Wolves.
2: Catch up with us in the afternoon. I will. I saw uh, Shut Up and Sit Down do the thing with Watch the Skies one time. And it sounds great because you have like the group of scientists that they stay over here and do this. Then you have the ambassadors that go out and talk to the other teams. And then you have the military that is enacting. The- yeah, it's, it does sound like such an involved thing, but such a rewarding thing. Whenever you're done playing it, it does sound like a lot of fun. I'm anxious to hear what you say about it. Once once you finish that up,
1: I'll give it the lowdown on up. Maybe a lost loot. We'll see.
2: <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Scott, what you got for your third game? Well, actually, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm going to put two in here real quick because they're not really new games. They're expansions that are coming out to existing games. All right. So the first one is Call to Adventure Epic Origins. This is designed by Johnny O'Neill and Chris O'Neill and published by Brotherwise Games. It's really an in-depth way of creating a character for D&D in a way. But yeah. the thing is that I'm not a big fan of the game. I'll just yeah, say you mentioned, but gonna- you brought this one up on the show last year, and you said,
3: "eh,
0: it's
2: an activity." Yeah, and it's it's one that I mean, I'm not rushing out to play, but every time I've played it, I absolutely am enthralled by the gameplay because the storytelling aspect of it is just great. Every time I play it, and I'm, I'm happy I did. Just the way that the character story unfolds, and the tossing of the runes is so mm-hmm. cool. It's not just dice. You actually have these little plastic runes that you have to roll and get certain symbols and just seeing like you start off with you're a peasant. You're a peasant that fought in the arena. Well, then you're a peasant that fought in the arena, became a general for the war and and how the character unfolds. It is such a a, a wonderful thing. And this one also comes out with new things where you're going to be doing an elf, a halfling, a dwarf, different races you can play as. So I'm anxious for that. The other one real quick is Cartographer's Map Pack number four. Cartographers, we love the game. Uh, Are you on the Thunderworks payroll? I feel like I should be sometimes. But, uh, But this one, they may open it up with the other two map packs. It makes the game so much different. You are the Frozen Expanse Realm of the Frost Giants. So they're going to come out with uh, different cards for it, a different hero. Plus, you have to watch out for Frost Giants. They're going to come out and do all sorts of crap to you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it it's one of those things where it's a simple addition to a great game. I'm looking forward to getting that pack to add to what we have already. Oh, and I'm sure that's going to get a bunch of play when we get back home. Oh, yeah, definitely. Patrick, your final that's- one that you have.
1: Make it good. That's when I got on
0: oh well.
2: No nope, guys, we're, sure. we're
1: gonna
0: all right, guys. I'm actually I'm taking a risk here. This is a game that comes from Rolla Crit, and according to BGG, uh Rollacrit has done nothing else to this point, and this game doesn't have any designers credited. So great start, right? Okay. This is a game that this game that was on Kickstarter earlier this year, and I signed up for a playthrough at Origins because it looks and sounds kind of fun, and that is Heroes of Barcadia. From BGG, a band of monsters has stolen all the drinks in the kingdom and hoarded them away in a perilous sprawling dungeon. (laughs) Now it's up to you, brave adventurer, to enter the ever-shifting corridors, outmaneuver your opponents, and reclaim the precious drink hoard. Heroes of Arcadia is a two-to-six-player, tile-based, dungeon-crawling, tabletop party game with a liquid twist your character's health is measured by the drink in your glass
1: oh my oh my gosh, gosh. <laughs>
0: so i will admit this has the potential to be a complete dud i know look i love to imbibe when i'm playing a good board game but typically when games incorporate beverage consumption it tends to mean that the game sucks and there is a drinking gimmick mm-hmm
1: I'm just looking at this game on BGA BGG right now, and I'm just losing my losing my crap. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, see, this style of game it's usually reserved for like Spencer's gift stores or the cell piles of gamers everywhere. In this case, having watched just one. The one playthrough that's available. It feels like there's a little bit of game here. Not a lot. Almost like the first portion of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Collectively, players are going to be exploring a map made up of face-down hexes, and you'll find various items and power-ups, and they even have cutesy names like the Cloak of Gin Visibility. Mm. <laughs> you, can, you can fight off bad guys such as the Jaeger Monster. <laughs>
1: The
4: Manticork
0: Manticork? or the White Russian. Uh? Come on. All right. I I guess I'm interested in trying this for a couple of reasons. Uh, I have hope that there's going to be a fun game here. I want the game to be fun because it's fun. Not because, holy crap, you had to sip a beer, right? You know, I, I hope that this is actually game first. I don't have anything like this in my collection, and that's kind of a loaded issue. I mean, I don't have games that involve a dexterity element with peeled potato skins either, but that doesn't mean that I need to go find one, right? I don't have them in my collection because they usually suck. Finally, I enjoy game day for that head down, thinky, like meat of the game thing, you know, but- Every now and then, I guess it's nice to just have a beer and pretzels game with some buddies and I could see this going over well at our meetups or I could see playing this with my brothers and having a good laugh. Either way, I'm going to give it a go. Going to give it a whirl and we'll see what's going on with Heroes of Barcadia. I okay. think
2: I might have to add this to my collection. <laughs> oh my god. I know just the people to play with as well. Oh well, you just open up a whole new venue that I gotta yeah, check break out. Break that at out Lord. at the Renaissance oh.
0: Festival. All right, adventure. So that is nine. Well, that is 10 games that we're looking forward to at Origins, Catherine, Burn Cycle, Heroes of Arcadia, Blood on the Clock Tower, Josh is going to dip his toes into Warhammer 40K, Den of Wolves, Usurp the King, Cryptid Cafe, Call to Adventure Epic Origins Expansion, and Cartographers Pack 4, Frozen Expanse, Realm of the Frost Giants. Holy crap, could they have come up with a longer name? <laughs> All right, boys, we got to get on to leveling up. As we do with every episode, we're going to conclude this one with how we leveled up. Josh, you're the guest. Tell us what you've done recently to level up in life
1: and the hobby. So in life, as I mentioned before, I am stepping away from my family's restaurant and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to start a game in the tabletop career. Part of that is that I am starting my own company. Basically, what I've done is I started my own studio, a development studio. Um, Game development is a... It's a part of the hobby where there's design. There's designers, people who design their games. They try to make their own games or pitch to publishers. Well, in between that, there are game developers, people who take other people's games and do some hardcore playtesting, a deeper look into the game and try to help them improve it. Um, that is something that I've done professionally mm-hmm. over the past couple months. And I've decided to kind of take a step with a few other designer friends of mine and start my own a studio called Bifrost Game Development. I have a logo, I have a website, I have a you know, bank account for it. At this point, I'm just working on, uh, I'll be partly advertising this at Origins, going to some of the prototyping areas, handing out business cards, you know, trying to get this off the ground. And the whole point is to try to help young designers get an affordable way, because game development is expensive for really people who are really good. They charge a lot. And my whole idea with this business is to give people affordable options to get their game developed while still getting a quality experience. So I'm trying to help the hobby and get back to the hobby while also doing something I love as well. So Bifrost game development is my level up
3: for
0: today. Adventurers, if you're thinking, wait, game development, why doesn't the designer just do that? Let me give you an example. If my wife and I are going out on a date, I am the designer when I choose my outfit. All right, I'll go upstairs, I'll put on some clothes, and I'll come downstairs. My wife is the developer. She'll look at my outfit and be like, no, that." Collar shouldn't be popped. Your belt's hanging out. Don't tuck in. You look like you're 80, right? Like that's the (laughs) developing step is taking what the designer did
1: and refining it and making it better, right? I'm using that example to explain my services to everybody now, Patrick. (laughs) That's a fantastic example. (laughs) I was really wondering where that was going.
0: Bifrost Game Development. Tell us, where's the website? If I'm uh, looking to find out some more, where do I go?
1: Well, the website will hopefully be up by the beginning of Origins. Um, I'm still designing. I was waiting for the logo to come in, but it'll be www.bifrostgamedevs.com. I'll have a Facebook page up here in the next couple weeks. I'm still building stuff up and getting it ready, but it should be up hopefully by the time this episode airs and definitely before Origins. So if you're a designer looking for some good development,
2: Check me out. Mine is a little less life-changing, but I finally, I have a game topper in my house and it's been taking over my dining room for quite some time. I finally got my legs in from a game topper so it can become its own table itself and be very movable. And it's the final part to me just getting everything into the room. Now I just need to move things around and I'm going to actually have my devoted game room now. Nice. I can't wait till that's all done. Get the the boxes out, change up, put some different artwork up. It's going to be fantastic. So I'm one step closer to finishing that up and having my game room and really, really going to look forward to enjoying time there. Oh, that sounds nice. Yes. I'll bring the first case of beer. Excellent. And Patrick, how have you leveled up?
0: Mine's pretty simple. I've had the opportunity to play with hungry gamer Will Brown on TTS a handful of times, but he messaged me seeing if I wanted to get in a game of Arcs, the new leader game that we're gonna have a side quest going on all about. And guess who else was playing was Secret Cabal founder Don Baggett. I had the pleasure of getting to play a game with Don, which meant a lot more to me than it did for him to be playing a game with me. But uh, <laughs> you know what? It was it was kind of cool. It's like, hey, this is someone who I've listened to listen. I've listened to the Secret Cabal for forever, and Don's been on there for a couple of years now. It's It's like, you know how you get that podcast thing where you kind of feel like, you know, the people that you're listening to. Mm -hmm. it was like, I I even told her, I was like, well, it's weird. I feel like I just listened to you last week, but had the pleasure of playing a game with hungry gamer, Will Brown and secret cabal founder, Don Baggett next week. It might get weird for your level up feed. We're planning a side quest for ARCs on Thursday, but we're going to be at Origins. We're going to have a field mic you might find at a random episode drop or two might come. Scott, we haven't worked out the logistics just yet. We're not sure how we're going to have it happen, but you might see Friday. What a Friday episode, a Sunday episode. and There might mm-hmm. just be a little like 20, 30 minute blurbs. What's been going on? Some, some off the cuff behind the scenes chat about some of the shiny awesomeness that is the convention so keep yours open for that in the meanwhile we do have on thursday arcs our side quest the new leader games will be live on kickstarter keep yours open see what we have to say about that josh will give you the final word for the show and i promise this isn't something that i just clipped from audio from earlier when we were recording
3: go i am an ignorant slut
0: thank you so much for joining this adventure of the level up board game podcast We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhaynesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.